In 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to pick up in, in verse 13. Here's what the Word of God has to say. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. On January the 9th, 1985, Pastor Herusto Glevev, a, pa a congregational pastor in Bulgaria, was arrested and put into prison. His crime was that he preached in his church. The reason that was a crime was he preached in his church, but the, the state had appointed another man to be the pastor, a state-approved pastor, that the congregation did not elect. So this pastor preached anyway. His trial was a, was a mock trial, a mockery of justice, a, a show trial. And he was sentenced to eight months of imprisonment. And during his time in prison, he made Christ known amongst the prisoners in every way that he could. When he got out, he wrote these words. He wrote, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions. And it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if, we had, than if I had been free. Now, friends, his story is not unique. Throughout history, the gospel has been more effectively spread in times of great persecution than in periods of relative peace for the church. As Christians were pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution, one of the unexpected things that happened, at least unexpected to the Christians, was the gospel message that had been spread pretty well in Jerusalem, was spread throughout the world as Christians left Jerusalem and with them began to shine the light of the gospel in new places that had not yet heard the name of Jesus. If you are a believer here today, you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit then by definition, you are called to be the light of the gospel wherever you may be. Now, some of you, that's a pretty hard word. Because for some of you, your families, most of your family are lost 
your home may be a very spiritually dark place. But right there in your home, you're called to be a light for the gospel. For some of you, when you go to work this week, the people you work with, your, your bosses, your, your co-laborers, maybe many of them are lost. Maybe your office and the place where you work every week is a very spiritually dark place. And you're called to be a light in the midst of that darkness. Students, we very well understand that when you walk the halls of your school buildings and sit in your classrooms, some of those places can be very spiritually dark places. And you're called to be a light in the midst of that. For some of you, maybe you're retired, but you, you do some things during the week with friends and, and maybe volunteer work or hobby work, but, but those connections are spiritually dark places and you are called to be the light of the gospel wherever you may be. Peter is writing to the church, and in this passage, amongst other things, he's recognizing that the church is going to face hostility. In fact, one of the things you, I hope you will gather today as we walk through this passage together is that suffering for the gospel from a biblical point of view is not something that might happen. It is something that should be expected to happen. The, the first century Christians lived in a world where um, persecution and suffering because of the gospel was not something that was theoretical or possible. It was something that was present all the time. Peter's writing to a church that knew persecution because of the gospel, and he's encouraging them to be light in the midst of darkness, even as they are being opposed by the world around them. And I think from this passage, we can, we can learn some things that are helpful for us today. And here's how I want to give, give attention to this passage. Number one, we are to be light in darkness. And so don't be surprised by the darkness and understand the conflict and the offense that light is to have in the context of a dark world. Secondly, proclaim the hope wherever and whenever you have opportunity. Don't shy away from it. Don't avoid it. Proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus and then lastly, give no offense to the gospel. I'm going to make the case that the gospel is offensive enough. You don't have to add to it. Don't be a jerk when you're telling people about Jesus. And if you suffer, suffer for the righteousness of God, not because of your sin. But let's begin with being light in the darkness. Look with me just back in the passage with those first few verses where, 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 where Peter writes, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the, for the hope that is in you. I think what he's talking about there is being a testimony of the light of the gospel in the midst of a broken and a dark world. Now, we need to be honest when we talk about that. We, most, so if you grew up in the church, you may have grown up and learned the little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Now, that's a sweet song. It's a good song, by the way. Put it under a bushel, and the answer is? Oh, maybe you don't know this song, so put it under a bushel. Oh, y'all don't know this song at all. Let me tell you. So the answer is, put it under a bushel, and then if, when you were five years old, you shouted, No! And then you said, I'm going to let it shine. 
Now, as five-year-olds learning that, that song, we thought it's a good thing to let the light of the gospel shine. That's, that's the point, the idea behind that song. But as adults, we come to understand the fuller truth that light is offensive to darkness. Wickedness and sin love the darkness and rather would stay in the darkness. I once had an experience just not too long ago, maybe five or six years ago, I was making a hospital visit. And um, when I introduced myself as the pastor of Central Baptist Church, there was a man in the room who, and I'm not exaggerating this, got up and ran away. It was weird. And I didn't quite understand what was happening. I thought, well, maybe he doesn't like me. But I'd never met the man before, so I didn't think it was a personal offense with me. But as I, as I began to understand the dynamics of the family that I was visiting and what was happening, I realized this man was very, very, very far away from the Lord. And when I mentioned that I was a follower of Jesus by identifying myself as a pastor, he viscerally had a reaction and physically ran as fast and as far away from me as possible. Now, I want you to hear me. I thought, that, I thought it was weird. I, I don't have a lot of people run away from me. Um, but, but I understand it, it wasn't a personal offense to me. He was offended by the gospel and did not want to be anywhere near the gospel. So as Peter is encouraging the church to be witnesses for the gospel, to give an answer for the hope that is within them, He's encouraging the church to face the suffering they will, incur, they will encounter because of the offense of the gospel with grace. The cultural context that Peter was, was uh, writing to and in was one of open hostility toward Christians. Now, you and I have enjoyed, at least if you grew up in the southeast, you and I have enjoyed a very long period where there has been a relative little consequence for following Jesus. In fact, um, 50, 30, and maybe even as close as 10 years ago, there was some advantage in Waycross, Georgia, if you were a member of a church, in business and in other things. That's rapidly changed. And, and we are moving to a season where it, is, it will cost you more to identify with Jesus than it will help you. But, but the reality of it, friends, is that is more akin to the way things normally are than anything else throughout the testimony of history. The world has always been opposed to the gospel. In John chapter 3, these are the words of Jesus where he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, wickedness loves darkness because it hides their behavior, and wickedness hates the light. In verse 16 of our passage, Peter writes, when you are slandered, Assuming that such hostility will be a part of every Christian's life. Followers of Jesus will not find much comfort in this world, and nor should we expect to. Being light in darkness is for the glory of truth, not the accommodation of lies. And so, friends, if you are children of the light today, 
Be the light in the darkness of this world. Embrace your identity. Embrace who you are. You are the light of the gospel in the midst of a dark world. And as you do, be encouraged. So notice what what Peter says in verse 14. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, why should we not have fear over them? The reason is Peter understands that the world has no real power over you. Now, every generation has struggled with fear of what the world might do to them. In Peter's day, there was open persecution and the real reality, real possibility and threat of the loss of life. That's having your life taken away from you certainly can be a reason for being fearful of what the world can do for you. In our day, there remains real concerns for what the world may do. Depending on what type of uh, work you do or what kind of things you make your living at, um, you may be fearful that if you are a light for the gospel, um, you could lose your job or the ability to advance in your career. That is not a, that is not a irrational fear. That very well may be part of your story. I mean, you may be fearful of social, um, uh, suffering social ridicule and, and public harassment. We, we see that happening. That is not an irrational fear. That very well may happen. There may be threats to your property and your, and your safety. And a growing fear for, for any who have a business or, or work in the public, uh, public sector is to, be, uh, is to attract the wrath of social media and be canceled. And so... Uh, have that come after you. That's not an irrational fear. That, that happens. That, that is something that may come your way. If you're not careful, these fears can paralyze your witness and tempt you to cover, to cover, to, uh, to, to cower to the world's demands to capitulate to being silent about your faith. But I think what Peter is encouraging the church here is to suffer righteousness knowing that the only thing the world can do, or maybe better put, the worst thing that the world can do is to kill you, to take your life. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, um, well, that's a pretty big fear, Pastor. <laughs> is Peter saying, are you saying we ought not to be afraid of somebody who can take my life? Or maybe to a lesser extent, are you saying I ought not to be afraid of being canceled on, on social media and my, losing my business and losing my job and not being able to pay for my groceries and all those sorts of things. The word here is have no fear of what the world can do to the body because they have no power over your eternity. What, what Peter is getting at here is where you ought to be afraid of is not the things of this world. You ought to be afraid of the things of eternity. So put it on a scale. What if you lose your business? What if you lose your job? That's not near the consequence of not being right before the Lord in eternity. Let them take your life. Let them take your job. They cannot mess with your eternity. Your salvation is secured for you by the power of the living God. Somebody say amen. And there is no power, no matter how great on this side of heaven, that can take that away from you. So Peter, looking at real threats in his world, says, listen, have no fear of the world. It's not that they can't do things to you, but ultimately and eternally they have no power over you. I think about in this situation Martin Luther. 
Martin Luther was the, was the one you may remember um, sort of sparked the beginning of the, the Reformation as he challenged the church, the, the church of his day with his 95 theses nailed up to the, to the chapel door there at Wittenberg. Uh, Martin Luther would be uh, um, attacked by the Pope and, and by the church and he would, he would, he would be the, the, um, the attention of the wrath of the Pope and the church and would be excommunicated and suffer all kinds of threats, both bodily and everything else, to him. And in maybe one of his best-known hymns that you and I are familiar with, he writes these words in A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Listen to this in the context of one who is under physical threat because of the gospel. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, we are servants of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Have no fear of the powers of this world. They cannot do anything to us. We stand under the power and the protection of the living God. All they can do is take our life, but they cannot affect our eternity. And so as Peter is encouraging the church, that, that first part of verse 15, he encourages us that whatever may come, honor Christ. Look what he says in the first part of verse 15, where he writes, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. If you enjoy right now a life of relative ease and comfort, then give God praise and, and, and glory for his blessings and honor Christ with your life. And if you are experiencing hardship right now and persecution, then equally give God glory for his blessing and honor Christ with your life. Friends, there will be seasons, and there have been seasons, where the gospel was well received. In this nation, in our cultural context, we have known a season like this, where many came to Christ, where the gospel was publicly celebrated, where Christians were respected and honored, where, where Christians had influence over the laws and culture of the land, where churches were growing in number. We praise God for those moments. There were blessings untold in those moments. There have been seasons of that. We've experienced that for some of us. But there have been, there will be, and there probably will be more seasons where the gospel is rejected where many reject the gospel, where the gospel is openly despised, where Christians are hated and rejected, where Christians are restricted from the public square, and where churches retreat and shrink. Regardless of what period we find ourselves, and frankly, I think that's the period we are moving into, regardless of what period we find, we, we find ourselves living, let your light 
be in whatever you find yourself, let your light shine in your context, in your culture, wherever you may be, that wherever you are, that you would honor Christ with your life. Be light in the midst of darkness. Secondly, proclaim hope. And look at that second part of verse 15. So the first part he says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. But then he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Just a couple of things here. Number one, friends, you need to be ready with truth. So Peter here is encouraging the church to be prepared to make a defense for the hope of the gospel. The word that Peter uses is um, apologian, which, which it's just the, the Greek word from which we get our English word apologetics. And if you're not familiar with that word, it, it means to, to make a defense for the truth. Now, um, don't hear this in the sense of um, Argument, though it certainly has some relationship to arguing. It, 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 the, the, the reality here more is, is to be able to answer the question, to be able to give an explanation, to be able to explain why you believe what you believe, to defend, to speak on behalf of, of, of oneself or of others against accusations presumed to be false, to defend the truth of something. The meaning here is not that we must defend God. The meaning is that we must be ready to give an answer for why we believe on Jesus. I don't know if this phrase will, will ring a bell with you, but, but Christianity is not an honor religion. You may not know what an honor religion is, but you have experienced it. Is, Islam is an honor religion. In honor religions, followers are responsible for defending the name of their, of their God. But friends, the Bible is very, very clear that God will vindicate himself. And that by his power alone, he will perfectly establish his kingdom. So understand this. God does not need you to defend him. Somebody say amen. God's Lord of lords, King of kings. Um, ruler of all rulers. He doesn't need you. He is powerful in and of himself to defend himself, to vindicate himself. He is going to establish his kingdom by his power and might, not ours. So it's why in Christianity we don't call for great armies to rise up and defeat the world in the name of Jesus. Jesus himself will be the one who's the conquering Savior who comes a second time, who establishes his kingdom fully. So we don't, defend, we don't defend God's name. It's why you don't see Christians getting all bent out of shape and, and when, when somebody says something offensive or blasphemous toward God. God will judge the blasphemer, not Christians. We're not an honor religion. However, Christians are called to give a defense of who God is and why we have hope in the promise of God. So Peter says, be ready. 
Be ready when the opportunity comes. Be ready with truth that when the moment of challenge comes, you can give an answer for why you believe. Here's the reality, friends. When that moment of challenge comes, it's too late to prepare to give an answer. You do understand that you prepare for something long before the moment comes. When the moment comes, that's an opportunity to employ what you have prepared for. It's not the moment to figure out what you're going to do. And you might ask, how do you prepare to give an answer? Well, you prepare to give an answer, first of all, by being in the Word of God. Several Sundays ago, we talked about delighting in the Word of God, spending time in God's Word. You prepare by being in God's Word. You prepare in being in fellowship with other people who are in God's Word. So this morning, many of you are in Sunday school, hearing the Word of God taught and, 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 and teaching and, and, and being in, in the context of a, of a Bible study group, preparing and understanding why we believe what we believe. I'm thankful you're here this morning. The preaching of the gospel, hearing it regularly in your life, is preparing you to give an answer for why you believe what you believe. You need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Prepare now by reading God's Word, worshiping with other Christians, and being in the fellowship of the church to give a defense for the hope of the gospel. But I think there's a second thing to this as well, and that is to speak truth at every opportunity. There's an interesting way, there's, a, there's an interesting way that, that Peter phrases this. So Peter says that we might make a defense, but notice what he says. There's a little phrase there um, that we might make a defense, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. I don't think this is it's reading too much into the passage to recognize that there are times when you and I are tempted to just keep our mouths shut. Certainly there are times when a truth seeker asks you to explain the gospel. So somebody comes up to you and says, tell me about Jesus. Now in those moments, um, you should be ready to tell somebody about Jesus and to bring them to salvation. Our, our church is regularly going to the, the Georgia Baptist Children's Home and doing some ministry there. Last time we were there, um, it's a wonderful opportunity. You ought to take advantage of being a part of that ministry. But last time we were there, um, I, I do a little devotion, and I, I, done, I did a devotion on Zacchaeus. And if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a, a Jew that was not living for, for the Lord. He was living in, in wicked sin, but he wanted to hear Jesus. Jesus interacted with him. Zacchaeus got saved and radically was changed and gave away all the money, that was, or uh, uh, made right the money that he'd stolen from his people. And was, I mean, it's just a beautiful story of a man who was transformed by the gospel. I get done, and this kid... Uh, on the very front, raises his hand, interrupts me as I'm praying, because he didn't know any better, he, you know, the, the polite way to, interrupts me while I'm praying and says, hey, how can I give my life like Zacchaeus, how can I give my life to Jesus like Zacchaeus gave his life to Jesus? Now, friends, that, to a preacher, that's like waving red meat, amen? But for, for that matter, friends, any of you who know Jesus, somebody says to you, I want to know about Jesus, you ought to be able to tell them how they can come to know Jesus. Now, those are the good moments. Oh, praise God for those moments. Definitely don't keep your mouth shut in those moments. But there will be other times when the question comes not out of a desire to know Jesus, but, but maybe it might be someone interested in just debating you. You ever been around somebody, maybe at a, at a Thanksgiving um, dinner table, that uncle, that cousin, <laughs> who you can't stand their post on Facebook, and they ask the question at Thanksgiving dinner not because they're interested, just because they like a good fight or debate. 
Um, or, or maybe it will be someone who wants to ridicule for your faith. And so they're, they're trying to expose you for being a believer in Jesus. Or it may be somebody who, who will not understand why you do what you do. And they think you're a little weird. And they just ask the question, why in the world do you, why in the world do you give 10% of your money to the church? Why do, you, why do you serve the church in that way and give your time that way? Why do you give your Sundays to being in, in worship service? And maybe they're not really interested in following Jesus. They're just thinking you're a little strange or a little weird. In those opportunities, there is a temptation to keep your mouth shut, to just be quiet, to avoid the ridicule, to avoid the, the unpleasant debate. But friends, whatever and whenever the opportunity comes, I think what Peter is saying here is take every opportunity to share the hope of the gospel. When it's an advantage to you, share the hope of the gospel. And even when it puts you at risk, share the hope of the gospel. I am over and over and over again reminded that I don't know what God is doing in the hearts of people that I'm interacting with. And it may be that jerk of a cousin of yours that every Thanksgiving before now has been a total pain to be around. Since last Thanksgiving, God's been breaking his heart for the gospel. And this Thanksgiving, you have an opportunity to lead him to Jesus. Don't stay silent with the hope that is within you. Somebody say amen. amen. Take every opportunity when it's asked to give a defense for the hope of the gospel that is within you. Now, one last thing. And that is, give no offense to the gospel. So, last part of this, verse 15, all the way to, the, to, to, to verse 17. Uh, make a defense to anyone who asks you for, for the reason of the hope that is, with, that is in you. Then he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So don't do it like a jerk. Don't do it harshly. Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So just a couple of things here. First of all, let the gospel speak for itself. Peter is encouraging Christians experiencing persecution and suffering to respond to those who are persecuting them with gentleness and respect. Yes, gentleness and respect to those who are persecuting them. In verse 16, we've already mentioned it. He goes on to say that you should have a, a good conscience in how you respond to those who slander you. There's an expectation they're going to slander you. And how you respond to them, your heart ought to be pure and have a good conscience in how you respond to that slander. What he's encouraging is the church to speak truth and let the gospel speak for itself. Now, here is the truth. The gospel is offensive enough to the world. You don't need to add any offense to it with bitterness and hostility. Can I say that again? The gospel is offensive enough. You don't need to add any extra to it of bitterness and hostility. As a pastor, as a preacher, there is sometimes a, a temptation to add bitterness, hostility, anger to a sermon. Because some perceive that as really good preaching, right? If you don't get red-faced and spit a little bit, you hadn't really preached. But what I have discovered, maybe the theatrics of that are more powerful, but what I have discovered is it doesn't really matter if you are just faithful to preach the Word of God. If you've got a sinner in the room, they'll be offended. 
You just faithfully preach the word of God. If one of you is living a guilty distance from the Lord right now, you'll be uncomfortable. Because the gospel is offensive enough on its own. You don't need to add anything to it. Let the Lord offend. You don't be offensive. Having a clear conscience here speaks both to action and heart. So do not return wickedness for wickedness. So your persecutor is being wicked towards you. Don't respond with wickedness. That takes away from the testimony of the gospel. And then just for the, your heart issue, guard your heart that you respond to, every, to even your enemy as people who are made in the image and to whom Christ, for whom Christ died. So when he says respect, that one who is persecuting you, that, one, that person at work is slandering you and you know it's because they hate you because you're a follower of Jesus. Make sure that you have a clean conscience of heart toward them, recognizing that you respect them as one who Christ died for and whom is made in the image of God for whom God loves before the foundation of the world. God's truth offends unto salvation. God's truth convicts unto freedom. God's truth humbles unto restoration. God's truth breaks unto healing. Let God's truth, let the gospel offend for the glory of God, but do not add any undue burden or offense to the gospel. Let the gospel do its work. You simply be a proclaimer of it. Let the gospel speak for itself. Secondly, Suffer as a sacrifice, not as a consequence. Now listen carefully to this. Suffer as a sacrifice, not as a consequence. If you are to suffer, let it be for obedience to Jesus and not because of sin. So after church today, you've got somewhere to go for um, Labor Day weekend. And you get out on I-75 and you put the hammer down because you want to get to wherever you're going in a hurry. And um, not long after you've got that hammer down, Georgia State Patrol or the local sheriff's department gets behind you and they d- d- decide to turn on their lights because you're running about 98 miles an hour in a, in a, in a, in a, in a 65. And they pull you over and they write you a ticket. Do not get offended that they're being mean to you because you've got a nickthoose on the back of your car. They're not, they're not persecuting you because you've got a honk for Jesus bumper sticker, okay? They're writing you a ticket because you broke the law. You are suffering in that moment not as a, because of righteousness of Jesus. You're suffering in that moment because of your wickedness and sin. Somebody say amen. <laughs> yeah, you don't say amen very passionately for that one. It's okay. So Peter's saying, listen, if you're going to suffer, and you may suffer, let your suffering be as a testimony for Jesus. Let it be because of the righteousness of the cross, not because of sin. If you're arrested for preaching the gospel, welcome the suffering as God's will. Praise God for that. You see the difference? And receive that as suffering for Jesus. Welcome it in your life. But don't don't conflate and don't confuse the two. There is a temptation to assume that any suffering is because the world is hostile to Jesus. Oftentimes the world will attack you, hate you, work against you because you love Jesus and are serving him. But Peter is making a distinction here between the two kinds of suffering. When you suffer for righteousness, that brings glory to God. 
and your accusers to shame. But when you suffer because of sin, that detracts from the gospel of Jesus. It may be God's will for you to suffer because of your faith. And if that is true, then in your suffering, trust that God is able to provide for you. Listen, in all honesty, friends, we, you know, we talked about all the consequences that the world may bring. If you lose your job for preaching the gospel, do you believe God is able to provide your grocery money? See, some of you are making decisions because you don't really think he is. If you don't advance in your career because of your walk with the Lord, do you believe that God's able to provide for you at whatever level you're able to get to? It may be God's will for you to suffer for righteousness' sake. And if that's true of you, trust God is able to provide. But for the sake of the gospel, listen to me carefully, dear friends, for the sake of the gospel, do not conflate the consequences of your sin with suffering for the gospel. May your suffering be a sacrifice for Jesus, not a consequence for sin. There is an enduring fascination, at least with me, for lighthouses. Do you, do you find them fascinating? I, I do. What makes lighthouses so fascinating to me is that they have but one purpose, and they seem to be relics of a bygone era. Lights that are helping ships navigate into harbors and safely. And yet, old lighthouses that were built generations ago are still being used today and still have purpose today. In 1716, so before the American Revolution, on little Brewster Island on the outer Boston Harbor, a lighthouse was built to assist ships that were navigating into Boston. It was the first lighthouse to be built in what would become the United States of America. Now, just to put that in perspective, that was built 94 years before the first lighthouse on our St. Simons was built in 1810. During the Revolutionary War, the lighthouse was held by British forces. It was attacked and burned on two occasions by American forces. And as British forces were retreating in 1776, they, they blew up the tower and completely destroyed the lighthouse. But it was rebuilt in 1783 to its original 75 foot height. And it, is, and it was later raised to its current 98 feet height in 1856. And since then, it's been in operation through the entire history of our nation, celebrating its 300th anniversary in 2016. In 1998, it was automated as most lighthouses were, but it continues in its original purpose of lighting, uh, shining a light 27 nautical miles, flashing every 10 seconds, allowing ships to come into Boston Harbor safely. Now there are very, very few things that were in use before our nation's found, uh, uh, establishment and that remain in use and functional today. 
That's what I think makes this lighthouse so fascinating to me. But lighthouses in general have remained even as technology has transformed and changed everything about our world. Lighthouses remain. Now, they're no longer lit by candles. They're lit, they're lit by bright lights today, but their function, their purpose is exactly the same in 2022 as they were in 1716. And that is to shine light to shine light. Friends, listen to me very carefully. The world around us, the world that you and I occupy is completely in so, in, in so many ways different from the world that Peter lived in and wrote to. They would not understand much of anything of our world. They wouldn't understand driving to church in cars. They wouldn't understand being in an air-conditioned building. They wouldn't understand the cell phones in our pocket. They would not understand the internet. They wouldn't, in, they wouldn't understand being able to watch satellite TV and, and, or TV that's happening, TV for that matter, but then watching something on your TV that's happening thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of miles away. There's almost nothing about their world and their culture that identified that it's the same with ours today, except this. They were called to be light in the midst of a dark world. And friends, if you know Jesus today, you are called to be a light in a dark world. Wherever you go, with whomever you are with, in whatever you are doing, be light in the darkness. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.